0: Welcome to Left Out, reality-based independent radio on WRCT 88.3 FM and podcasts on the World Wide Web available at leftout.info. Left Out discusses the news from a perspective left out of the mainstream media. It's co-hosted by me, Bob Harper.
1: And me, Danny Slater.
0: And is, uh, today's program is produced by Matt Hornyak. As usual, uh, listeners are invited to phone us, uh, by calling the, calling the station at 412-268-9728. That's 268-CMU-WRCT. Or you can also send electronic mail to bob at leftout.info that we'll monitor during the show. On today's program, we're very honored to have as a guest on today's show uh, Chalmers Johnson, who's a uh, political scientist who some of our left-out listeners may know from his writings. He's written uh, – he's in the process of writing the third volume of a three-volume series of books. One is called – the first is called Blowback, The Costs and Consequences of American Empire. Uh, the second is called The Sorrows of Empire, Militarism, Secrecy, and the End of the Republic. And he has a new book coming out uh, whose title is Escaping My Mind. I'll ask Thomas Johnson to remind us in a moment. A Nemesis is the name of the, ti- is the title. And he, uh, has been a lifelong, uh, ca- as a career in a political scientist. He was, uh, the, d- uh, director of the Center for Chinese Studies at, uh, Cal Berkeley for a number of years, formerly worked for the CIA, uh, formerly a lieutenant in the Navy, and now, uh, the founder of the Japan Policy Research Institute. Uh, and some of our listeners will, may have seen Charles Johnson appearing in most recently in the recent documentary called Why We Fight. Uh, Charles Johnson, welcome to Left Out.
2: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Uh, I wonder if we might start with uh, today 's program if you might um, summarize a bit the thing that one thing that I have found interesting about your recent writings is uh, the the I, um, summarize a bit the thing that one thing that I have found interesting about your recent writings is uh, the the idea of empire which I think is very much uh, a, a, a topic of current concern given the foreign policies particularly yeah. of the Bush administration and I wonder if you might comment a bit in the context of your books and uh, and your thoughts about this particularly as it might pertain to the or foreign affairs issues at the moment.
2: Right. Well, it's a big question. Let me just say, blowback, which is written before 9 11, uh, was a, um, uh, an attempt to, the blowback is a term, it's a CIA term that means the, uh, retaliation for clandestine activities carried out abroad. Um, my concern there was the, uh, that we had sown the seeds of considerable blowback throughout the Cold War and that it was, uh, long overdue to come and hit us. Of course, the biggest single example of, of blowback was nine eleven. 11 From there, I went on to a second book called The Sorrows of Empire, which is a study of our uh, military bases abroad. There's, according to the p- official Pentagon count, there's actually more than that number, but uh, the official account in the uh, base structure report is 737 military bases in other people's countries right now that uh the book is an analysis of of what they were created for, what they do, what they cost, uh, what life is like there, uh, and above all the damage they do to the people that have to live next door to them and were never asked whether they wanted them there uh the uh, uh, the, the it's in this context that I began above all to use the word empire uh, and to explain what does it mean to have uh, Uh, American troops based in over 130 countries around the world. Uh, and I concluded that the concept I was looking for was empire. Uh, the unit here is not the colony, it's the military base. Uh, they, these military bases are in many cases at least 50, 60 years old, or in some cases, in the case of Guantanamo Bay, considerably older than that. Uh, the, uh, uh, and I, uh, believe that is the right concept by, By empire, one simply means the uh, uh, extension of hegemony over uh, unwilling foreign peoples. Uh, And uh, how you do it is another issue. You could certainly have uh, a uh, uh, neocolonialism in the form of of economic dependence that we have for decades imposed on Latin America without question, in my view, a form of imperialism. But that's basically what I meant by the third book that I've just finished, and in some ways, the giveaway is in the title, Nemesis. She was the Greek goddess of revenge. Of uh, uh, Edith Hamilton, in her famous study of, of uh, Greek uh, mythology, says that Nemesis stands for righteous anger. Uh, it is a way of... The subtitle is The Last Days of the American Republic. I believe that we have now worked ourselves into a cul-de-sac in which the country obviously won't disappear, but it's a very good chance that our republic the structure of government that we created 2 centuries ago to preserve our liberty is uh is so badly threatened that it's uh, very hard to imagine how we get out of it or to put it another way if you think we're going to get out of it the burden of proof is on you the political system obviously is failing uh the uh i doubt that we would have military in- intervention in politics i doubt it for one simple reason the uh the enlisted men in the armed forces that have been uh uh, tried and convicted for torture at Abu Ghraib, Guantanamo, and elsewhere, they've all been enlisted men, and they're very much aware today that the officers have gone free, uh, even though they gave the orders for the torture.
3: Sure, Therefore,
2: right. the enlisted men are today extremely sensitive to uh, illegal orders. You couldn't imagine a more illegal order than to take over the government, uh, because they will be held responsible, whereas the people giving the orders, are likely to be exonerated. The result is I think the officers would hesitate to intervene in American politics because they can't trust the armed forces anymore to obey them. So that I finally conclude what's then what is likely to stop the empire and it's most likely to be uh, uh to be bankruptcy. Uh two obvious things right now could bring down uh the American empire overnight. If the uh, Iranians go ahead with their threat to establish a, uh, an oil bourse based on the euro, that is, pricing oil in euros instead of dollars, uh, would uh, destroy the only backing the dollar has left. This is backing that was created back in the early 70s in our agreement with Saudi Arabia to guarantee their security in return for their agreement always to price oil in dollars. Uh, once you don't price oil in dollars, there's no reason for uh, countries to continue to hold dollars in their reserves. The others would be the huge reserves held above all by the Chinese today, the largest single reserves, uh, on earth in any, foreign reserves on, in any ministry of finance on earth today. Uh, the Chinese do this because they want to retain access to this market to keep their economy growing. It's the fastest growing big economy on earth today. But, um, As William Greeter has many times written, it's extremely unwise for a debtor to go around insulting his banker. Well, we're the world's largest uh, net debtor, and we are every day insulting uh, our uh, bankers, either through the voice of Condoleezza Rice or uh, by sending uh, provocative uh, naval formations off the Chinese coast or one other thing after another. All it would take would be for the Ministry of Finance of China to decide to start uh, unloading dollars, and the dollar would collapse, our stock exchange would collapse, uh, we would lose control of our economy, uh, we would become uh, what some economists are calling a Blanche DuBois economy, one dependent upon the, the kindness of strangers, but that's what the, uh, the new book is about, it will be out at the end of the year, it's, it's in the hands of the publisher at the present.
0: Oh, we'll look, we'll look forward to that. Let's mention to the readers that, uh, the, there are links to, uh, Trauma Johnson's books that are available now on the Left Out and Info webpage. And if you'd like to speak with Trauma Johnson, you're welcome to phone at, uh, 412-268-9728. So I wanted to follow up on a number of those points. Sorry, there are so many of them. I, I, I don't even know where to begin. One, <laughs> no, no, no. One, one that, one that, uh, that occurs to me is I, I, I have certainly, we've been left out. I'm very concerned about the militarism, the military bases. Yeah. Um, one is, uh, are you suggesting, let me ask a, a very general question and then a specific one. The general one is, are you suggesting that we're now at the stage where we're maintaining military bases because we're maintaining military bases? Yes. Or is there, I see. Okay, wonder if you could explain No, that, that. Is,
2: that it is primarily a form of imperialism. I mean, uh, most of these bases have no military function. Like in Okinawa, uh, for example? Or? The ones in Okinawa were created back at the time of the Battle of Okinawa in 1945. That generally speaking, even if there was a rational purpose, in creating these bases at some time, something to do with the Cold War, as in the bases in Germany, or uh, or those in Italy, or uh, um, Diego Garcia, or wherever else they may be, uh, we tend never to close them once it's over. I also see to me that it's uh, it's palpably obvious today in the the pattern of bases in the Middle East and the recurring evidence we have from the Pentagon, that they intend to keep between four and 14 so-called enduring bases. They desperately try to avoid the term permanent because they know it inflames uh, Iraqi sentiment in exactly the way the Iraqis suspect, namely that the purpose of the invasion of Iraq was to uh, replace our enclaves in Saudi Arabia with a new, more centrally located, equally uh, oil-rich um uh, uh, territory under our control, and that uh, regardless of what happens in the insurrection, we, uh, we have no intention of leaving. Uh, but uh, yes, I think the bases are a, uh, they amount to a form of imperialism in the sense that they exert control, they, uh, uh, in, in, very, in every case, of course, there is a formal agreement between uh, the host country's uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs and our State Department, on our basing there. There is, however, also in every case a much more secretive, much more difficult agreement to get a hold of called the Status of Forces Agreement. Uh, The one there, that is, just take, for example, the uh, Japan-US Security Treaty is 10 articles. They're, They're all straightforward. It's a short treaty. The Status of Forces Agreement which, as I say, people in Japan complain that if they even can get a copy of it in, Jap- in Japanese, it's almost unreadable. The uh, translation is so bad. Uh, but it's an extremely complex document that dictates extraterritorial status for our troops uh, when they get involved in criminal acts in the society to ensure that they receive favorable treatment at our hands, uh, to cause uh, the so-called host nation to pay to the nose for our presence they all have a distinctly roman quality to them uh... that that is to uh... To, you know, to ensure that our presence there is on our terms and is maintained as long as possible these status of forces agreements differ depending on uh, the country and its self assertiveness uh... uh they, they've been modified a good deal in the case of germany the germans got just very tired of the Status of Forces Agreement, saying that we would never be responsible for environmental damage, we maintain them in uh, as in their more rigorous form in Japan, Korea, places like that, where uh, we do a great deal of environmental damage and are exonerated from ever being asked to clean it up. Hmm. But uh, yes, I think this is uh, that the proper term here is imperialism, and that the basis. I mean, we see it right now in the discussion of Iraq policy. Uh, It's perhaps the most delicate issue. You have Congress passing resolutions saying, of course, we never intend to have permanent bases in in, uh, Iraq. You have General Abzayed, the uh, commander-in-chief of CENTCOM, saying, well, I don't know. It looks like we might or might not need them. You have the uh, commander of the Air Force for uh, the Central Command uh, saying, I think we'll be there for at least another decade, and we need bases like Ballad and uh, and uh, uh, Taji and uh, and Talil Air Base in the south and things of this sort. Moreover, in any number of reports from the Pentagon, we have just you know Kellogg Brown and Root uh, cement trucks traveling everywhere, pouring immense amounts of uh, of cement for longer runways, underground bunkers, everything about them that that, that looks like Kadena Air Force Base in Okinawa. Let me, let me uh, so that I think yes, this is empire.
1: Let me just uh, interrupt that. I've got a couple of comments. Well, one is, uh, first of all, if the listeners would like to call us, we're talking to Chalmers Johnson. You can give us a call at 412-268-9728. Um, I just noticed a kind of logic uh, or a sort of connection between two things you've said. And, and uh, one is you've, you've described your book Nemesis about uh, the last days of the American Republic and about the debt problem that's going to occur right. uh, imminently or, or, you know, in, in, in some time relatively soon, but then uh, you also talk about the whole empire thing. Maybe the maybe the, and the people are asking why did Bush go to Iraq and stuff, and this and Helen Thomas asked him that question, and they've never given a, a, a real answer. But it uh, seems like the bases are probably closer to the real answer, and you just alluded to that. Maybe, maybe the reason they're doing the bases is to stave off the uh, collapse of the American Republic.
2: Well, this is one of the things I try to discuss in... Uh in uh, nemesis is so-called military keynesianism that is the degree to which our economy has particularly our manufacturing sector has become dependent upon uh... uh military industrial complex in all of its various forms these are very hard numbers to put together accurately that is the, the annual defense budget today is somewhere around three-quarters of a trillion dollars there's a lot of different ways of calculating it, but it's certainly well above the former, formal Defense Appropriations Bill. I mean, if nothing more, there's two Defense Appropriations Bills. The other one is the uh, Military Construction Bill, Annual Bill, which is takes care of our bases. But just in, um, I mean, this has been argued back since the beginning of the Cold War that uh, the United States has become increasingly dependent on, um, military expenditures, uh, that it is a, and it is a form of Keynesianism. It is a, I mean, if John Maynard Keynes thought of of burying money in, in uh, old mine shafts and then paying out of work uh, Americans to dig it up, well, this is uh, a, another form of it uh, in the sense that the stuff that's being manufactured is absolutely worthless and is, in fact, blown up uh, in most cases. Uh, that is to say, we spent between World War II and uh, and the year 2000, the number is somewhere in the neighborhood of five plus trillion dollars on atomic weapons, uh, not one of which was ever used. Of course, it's a it's a perfect example of uh, of, of make work uh, uh-huh. projects. But we see it also in the in the uh, hubbub that comes up every time the Defense Department wants to close a domestic base. Uh, that uh, regardless of uh, a political orientation, local politicians start going mad over, save our base. Yeah. Uh, that uh, uh, this, the military industrial complex is clever in a big project like the B 2 bomber. They put a piece of it in, in as many congressional districts as they possibly can, certainly one in each state, to make sure that if Congress ever got the idea that there was some uh, weapon of mass destruction that we didn't actually need anymore, uh, they could be sure that they could. Uh, caused the people who voted for that to uh, to uh, lose jobs in their constituency and very possibly be uh, be defeated that is to say the economy is today quite dependent on, uh, yeah. on these expenditures the problem is of course that we're we're running out of money uh, that most of the uh, of the Iraq war itself has been put on the tab uh, that we borrowed the money from the Chinese to pay for it uh, and uh, that uh, Where Our economy is rather thoroughly hollowed out these days, Uh, and uh, uh, we know it, we're worried about it, but we're whistling in the dark, hoping that it isn't true.
1: Let me ask you one other. I I, I just would like to get your comment on a book that uh, just came out uh, called The Case for Goliath by Michael Mandelbaum. Uh, I haven't read the book. I, I read a review of it, and I also saw his interview on The Daily Show.
2: I'm sorry to say I haven't read it myself. I've heard of it.
1: Um, okay um, it just seemed to be completely at odds with 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 what you're saying because basically this the thesis is that, and according to again I haven't read the book, but the reviews mm-hmm. uh, arguments about why it's so great for the world that the United States is basically the world's policeman and is, is patrolling the seas and uh has these bases all over the place that that you have you, you know described as being just, you know, imperialistic uh, yes. and, and massive waste of money. And-
2: but, I mean, at the same time, we have the largest trade deficits ever recorded. Uh, just uh, last year, we recorded the largest single trade deficit ever recorded in economic history, that was China. Uh, we have uh, monumental uh, uh, governmental federal deficits. We don't save anything. Uh, we are uh, going into debt to everybody on Earth. Uh, and uh, uh, the American economy has not collapsed already simply because the dollar is our national currency and we've come up with devices to maintain its its usefulness in uh, international uh, commerce so that nations around the world aren't yet ready to pull the plug on the United States. Uh, they will the day when it becomes obvious that they'll just have a recession even if the United States really goes down. Uh, so that I, uh, I, I think that Mr. Mandelbaum is just plain not looking at the facts.
0: So I wonder um I wonder uh that your, your the picture you're painting is one that we've often discussed and left out and I have to say I share a lot of your pessimism. Uh I would like to think that there's something and this may be just my own uh, romantic thinking that uh that there's something that will swing the pendulum in the other direction and I wonder if you if you have any hope for that or if you, you feel we're inevitably on this on this Well my wife is always
2: saying to me what? say something optimistic would you and I usually say well yeah I'll give you something optimistic it, it doesn't have to blow up, it'll be bankruptcy. I mean it'll be uh Argentina. Uh Argentina is, is still there. Uh it's uh parts of it are rather lawless. Uh there's a lot of poverty, uh there's uh, not much control. They are dependent on the kindness of strangers. In this case Hugo Chavez has been helping them out a good deal. Yes. Uh they're starting to come out of it rather nicely now, but they've also made their decision never ever again to listen to an economist from Washington DC least of all from the International Monetary Fund. Uh, and uh, they're forging along with a great many other Latin American countries that have been reduced to penury by uh, our theories of, uh, of international trade. Uh, they're all moving in a, in a leftward uh, direction. But uh, my, the point I'm trying to make is that there's a, a long tendency in America to believe the pendulum will swing. I don't know whether there is a pendulum anymore. Uh, the information that truly impresses me is in 1991, at the time of the collapse of the Soviet Union, when the entire justification for the Cold War, for the military-industrial complex, for the Pentagon's intelligence agency's apparatus, uh, the whole affair had collapsed. And you would have expected, given American history, we would have a peace dividend, we would go back towards civilian uh, uh, constructs and things of that sort. What startled me, which led to a very considerable change in my own thinking as a scholar, was uh, the fact that instantaneously the entire American establishment set out to find a replacement enemy for the Soviet Union. It could be uh, uh, China, it could be drugs, it could be instability even, uh, or one thing after another, Finally, they found it in something called a long war on terrorism. Right, on a,
0: the all-purpose. Uh, and uh,
2: yeah. and it is goes, this is so flexible and so meaningless. Uh, and so uh, irrelevant to the issues posed by 9-11 and by uh, our former allies in Afghanistan in the 1980s, who turned against us because the way we dumped them once the Soviet Union was gone, uh, namely, Al Qaeda and Osama yes, bin Laden, who was, after all, an asset of ours at one time. Uh, that uh, uh, that is given that kind of development, I'm. I think that it's unlikely to see a uh, a shift of uh, or a swing of the pendulum again. Okay. Uh, the uh, the opposition party in the United States seems, if anything, uh, simply to be saying. Uh, we can be uh, more vicious. We would have sent a much bigger army to Iraq.
3: <laughs> yeah, you
2: know, we would have probably killed a lot more Iraqis. Uh, that uh, uh, Bush and Cheney are simply incompetent, uh, and uh, that's not reassuring either.
0: If I may interrupt, so we have a caller on the line for Thomas Johnson. Carlana, would you go ahead, please?
3: Yes. Um, uh, the problem that I've been wrestling with is um, we have this. 50, 60-year history sorry, I'm not of hearing.
1: bad behavior in the world. Okay, we'll, we'll uh, Carlana, wait a second. We'll oh, hold on a second. Um, we'll paraphrase what you say to Chalmers. I can hear okay, you fine. fine. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm just so not can't. getting through to All right,
3: me. Well, okay. so, uh, the question is that, that uh, the American public uh, in general has been kept ignorant of, of the United States' bad behavior in the past 60 years. And I'm wondering, is there anyone who's producing sort of like little one-sheet fact sheets that that a person could use in discussing different issues with people who have no background information. And I okay. think this is, it's very difficult to communicate with people uh, when they don't have the background information. They're not going to read a book, but we almost need to have little one-sheet fact sheets that we can address different issues and at least start okay. conversation. Okay, thanks
0: for that. I'll relay it to trauma okay. Johnson. So traumas the question was, is that... Yeah, that's um, right. I
2: couldn't hear. You yes. might just see if there's some way to connect. That's, the
0: yeah, that's our technical problem on our end. The producer's looking at it. Go ahead. Um, so the caller was asking is that um, she was commenting that the American public in general, she finds, is very ignorant of America's history of bad behavior in world affairs and that uh, she thinks that this contributes greatly to uh, our policy failings and that people should be more broadly educated somehow and she's desperate for a way to find a way for doing that, to for people to understand what the U.S. has really done and what the history is and what our policies really are. And I wondered if you might comment on that in particular. Well, I certainly
2: agree with her. I mean, this is one of the reasons for writing the first of this inadvertent trilogy of books, the one called Blowback, to uh, indicate to... Uh, I mean, again, Blowback doesn't mean just retaliation for things we've done abroad. It means retaliation for things we've done abroad. That we kept totally secret from the American public.
0: Yes, yeah, so that's a very people important. People on the receiving Thank end,
2: they're, it's it's never a secret from them. The uh, the Iranians, the Guatemalans, the Chileans, uh, the Okinawans, um, all of them on the receiving end of uh, of uh, our little clandestine activities, know full well uh, what they're up against. How you mobilize the American public is one of the issues I also try to raise in. Uh, in Nemesis, in that clearly this would be an answer to the uh, uh, to the end of the Republic, to the uh, walking into a trap that uh, that is typical of all previous empires. I mean, again, I, I'm not talking about something that's unusual. In my lifetime, I'm 74 years old. I've seen the collapse of the uh, of the uh, Soviet, uh, Nazi, Imperial Japanese, British, French, Dutch. Portuguese empires I mean they go down quite often I mean if we were holding this conversation in say 1985 and I had said to you that four years from now the Soviet Union will disappear You're be a joke. Uh, you are not <laughs> he's not a very reliable commentator right but I have to tell you it is today gone it happened very rapidly Russia today is a much much smaller place than the Soviet Union used to be uh, so that but again what would it take to mobilize the American public? Given that uh, the media is totally controlled by conglomerates that are concerned uh, that uh, that their interests be protected, well before anything else, all you have to do is to just just listen one evening to the NBC nightly and news and put the word news in quotation marks. <laughs> yeah, uh, and you'll uh, you'll get the idea. As you know, that halfway through, based on some MBA's uh, uh, analysis, we're going to shift. To a discussion of the diseases of old people and the pills you might take for it, uh, the, uh, I don't see what it is that could, that could mobilize the American public. Uh, I have I'm certainly agree with the idea that the American public is probably not as dense, not as out of it, not as ill-informed, regardless of red or blue states, than is uh, put out by the uh, Uh, the milk-fed puppets and and, uh, enthusiasts for empire in the mainstream news media. I still don't see quite how that mobilization occurs. Uh, I don't see how the public takes back uh, the single instrument that the, uh, the writers of our Constitution felt was the very heart of our government, namely Congress. I mean, after all, I live in the 50th District of California. We've just put away in federal prison Uh, the worst case of bribery in the history of the U.S. Congress, namely Randy Duke Cunningham, Mm -hmm. fully bought and paid for by the military-industrial complex. Uh As I had written in the L.A. Times uh, a year before it happened, it just never crossed my mind that he was so dumb. He'd actually (laughs) take a Rolls-Royce car, some furniture, some rugs and other such junk, uh, and get himself uh, put away for open bribery uh, in uh, it's, but bear in mind, bribery goes on with every single member of Congress. It's simply called campaign contributions. Yeah. Yes. So, so one when, of the things that, you do that.
1: Yeah. So the, the 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 caller has brought up this very good point that that I think, uh, you know, the kind of discussion we're having, I think, to a lot of Americans, really is so is so off base to them. Right. It's so. It's so. Um, are you still there? I'm hearing some funny noise. You, Hello? Yeah, okay. Well, it's so out it's so out there.
2: Yeah. It's just but takes it was a while to an awful lot of Soviet citizens too. What yeah, to
0: them. So that's the problem that we have. I mean, a show like this, for example, if we talk, uh, if we talk about some of the history of American involvement in the Middle East, for example, I, I would, I would, I would wager that not one American in a hundred understands that the U.S. government overthrew Mossadegh in Iran in the 50s, and that that exactly. has a and that that's it's an profound important
1: impact on this whole the whole evolution of the Middle East and everything. And are in talking
2: about Middle Eastern policy, you could easily begin and see a direct line from uh, President Eisenhower's agreement to save the british petroleum company uh... by using the cia in its first clandestine overthrow of an honestly elected government uh... uh and uh, by characterizing mozadek as a communist the pope would more likely have fit being a communist than the prime minister mozadek of iran and uh, it's uh... simply insane to believe that the iranians have ever forgotten that uh... any more than the iraqis given the fact that we uh, Tried to starve them out throughout the uh, the 1990s. Why on earth uh, Paul Wolfowitz thought they would welcome us as liberators escapes me.
0: Uh, it's it's impossible to fathom. And and I can, what I can never understand is: Are they just bald-faced liars, absolutely shameless liars, or do they believe this nonsense? I, uh, you have more experience, perhaps, with these. Uh, well, this kind of a thing little than bit I do. of both. I mean,
2: I that is, in talking about say our policies in the Middle East, there's uh, in, in particularly in the. Uh, in the bush administration but recognizing that these are our are, uh, developments of policies to go back at least to jimmy carter uh... when one basic fundamental building block of our policy in the middle east namely iran collapsed in uh... in uh... the iranian revolution uh... that overthrew the Shah uh... and threw us out in uh... nineteen seventy nine the uh, The first, I mean, that is, received wisdom says that there's three elements uh, that go into causing this. First, oil, obviously oil. Uh, The reason they speak of oil is because we were always looking for a replacement. I mean, our policies in in the Middle East have always depended upon our special relationship with Saudi Arabia, our special relationship with Iran. The one with Iran collapsed when the Shah was overthrown. We've been looking for a replacement for a long time. Moreover, the Saudis have gotten extremely restive, particularly after the first Gulf War when we put troops in in Saudi Arabia, a very bad decision. Uh, uh, And and we have gotten restive with uh, the Saudis. We'd like a place that we could control better. Uh, Secondly, there is the argument uh, now very much in the press, thanks to uh, Professors Mearsheimer and Walt uh, in their article on the the so-called Israeli lobby, uh, but that, oh, yes. uh, we are influenced by our uh, emotional contacts with Israel, and we are p- pursuing, uh, essentially the policies of Ariel Sharon and the Liquid Party, that, uh, moreover, I mean, we're not just here talking abstractly either. We're talking about some very concrete people in the, uh, in the, uh, the Bush administration, uh, uh, Richard Pearl, uh, uh Paul Wolfowitz, Douglas Fife. Wormser, uh, John Bolton, Michael Ledeen, the American Enterprise Institute, these people have all had very, very close contacts, uh, often working for the Liquid Party and Benjamin Netanyahu. So the part of the argument is we've been influenced here by uh, Israel's self-perceived interests. Then there's a third element of the received wisdom, that this is basically, it's domestic politics, that the uh, the first couple of years of the Bush administration were remarkably undistinguished in terms of of domestic uh, politics. We had uh, the collapse of Enron and the whole, I mean, recognizing that all of the leaders of the Bush administration are, uh, what they all have in their background is they were petroleum company executives, including Condoleezza Rice, who was a member of the board of Chevron. Uh, they, the Chevron actually had named a ship after her. After her. They That's true. Changed that name when she went into office. But the federal deficit, the looting of pensions, tax cuts for the rich, the loss of civil liberties, the failure in Afghanistan to actually catch the people who uh, had uh, attacked us on 9 11. And that therefore, what uh, Rove and other political geniuses of the Republican Party have been looking for is. Uh, 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 it's sometimes usually put politics of mass distraction. <laughs> come up with some way to make sure the public doesn't focus on uh, domestic failures, and there's nothing better for that than a good war. They began to prepare for it a few months just before the midterm elections in 2002, launched it in 2003. It essentially had its its intended effect. My argument would be, I think all three of these are partly true, but only partly so, and even taken together, they don't add up to a, a comprehensive explanation uh, that we, uh, we know from numerous insiders. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Karen Kutofsky, who has... Uh, She's
0: been uh, a guest uh, who, on Left Out. Uh,
2: yes, I, yes, I noticed on your list that she mm-hmm. was. I admire her a great deal. She retired her commission uh, from a senior position doing Middle Eastern affairs inside the Pentagon over what she perceived as the frank determination to create out of Iraq a base for our operations that would replace Saudi Arabia, uh, replace Prince Sultan Air Base with Khalil, uh, Balad, and the ones that, uh, that are today the size of small Southern California cities. They're yeah,
0: 20-square-mile air base.
2: Yeah, I mean, they're yeah. just un- unimaginable. And... Most of the troops there are never exposed to, to any danger at all. They sit around eating burger, eating Burger King, and watching movies and things like that. Uh, hardly uh, twenty thousand troops at uh, Balad. Probably no more than a thousand ever actually go off the base. Um, so that it's uh, uh, it, 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 uh, my feeling is that instead, what we she, she testifies that the planning inside the pentagon didn't speak of oil did not really speak of uh, israel even though many of the people making the policy were quite close to israeli politics uh, and that uh, they were not terribly concerned about domestic politics they were just on an arc that had been going on for some time going back ultimately as you said earlier to the situation in iran that we created with our uh... cia coup in nineteen fifty three lead on to bringing the Shah to power, one of the most despicable despots of the Cold War period. The Iranians overthrow him, um, come to power in an extremely anti-American, religiously fundamentalist uh, regime under uh, 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 Ayatollah Khomeini, uh, and uh, that uh, they've settled on Iraq was the place to go, that many of them felt that we should have done it back in uh, uh, 1991 when we invaded Iraq to kick them out of uh, Kuwait uh, and that the first President Bush didn't go far enough uh, so they're just g- cleaning it up uh, the costs of this kind of thinking of uh, broad, big geopolitical s- stratagems without any real knowledge of uh, of Arabic language, of the history the of, the place, mystery, of the place of the history of British imperialism in Iraq of uh, the uh, uh, the influence of Iran on Iraq, uh, uh, virtually no knowledge at all of uh, Islam and its divisions. Uh, and so that they end up today scratching their heads saying, well, we, uh, we overthrew Saddam Hussein, and guess who won? Iran, it looks like.
0: Yeah, it certainly, it certainly seems to be. Uh, we're talking with Chalmers Johnson, uh, and you're welcome to give us a call if you'd like. If you have a question for Professor Johnson, uh, you can call us at four one two two six eight nine seven two eight, or send electronic mail to bob at leftout dot info.
1: So uh, you brought up uh, the, the professors, um, <coughs> and now I don't remember their names. Uh,
0: Mearsheimer and I
1: forgot. Mearsheimer and Walt. Uh, Mearsheimer yes. yeah, yeah, in
2: maybe Chicago and, and Walt is at Harvard. They're two very prominent political scientists. Yes, no. i wonder
0: if you could uh, expand on that. I, and, I, and also, I know about this.
1: What I'm interested in also is what happened to them. I think there's been an outcry against uh, their work, and they're, uh, they're being called anti-Semites and so on.
2: Well, I mean I think I'm sure they must have expected that. Uh it, <laughs> so, I mean So
1: what did they say? Maybe we should just yeah, start, so there was I something. mean
2: I first <laughs> the thing is fascinating. I first heard about this. I hadn't uh I keep wondering. I subscribed to the London Review of Books, but I didn't get that issue. I keep thinking, oh huh. my god, the the post office is uh, is uh, shredding them so that we won't get a chance to see it. But there was a good article in Haaretz from Tel Aviv on all of this, more or less saying, uh, well, you know, uh, Mearsheimer and Walt have written an article about the uh, Israeli lobby that we could have published in our daily newspaper at any time, and it would be active discussion in Israeli society. The Americans have gone nuts over it, however. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that Harvard is. It was first printed with all the footnotes and everything on a website at Harvard. Right. Harvard has pulled its name off the cover of it and things like that. <laughs> right. uh, you can uh, The only criticism I think you could possibly make of it is that it's a little simplistic and that they uh, may overstate it that they're not as good as they might be on the complexities of uh, of uh... Am- americans whose religion is judaism uh... of the number of american jews are anything but passionate zionists uh... or, or uh... Or, or things of this sort but indeed it just as they have predicted instantaneously They've been accused of being uh, anti-Semites, mm-hmm. uh, stupid characters, along with uh, uh, redneck uh, racists, in, uh, of which we know enough about from our own history. Uh, and
0: uh, and I'm not this aware. is, I
2: think, unfortunately tragic because it it uh, it makes their case, and it also is extremely damaging to the interests of Israel, in that. Uh, Uh, Once people start thinking about it, the case is so absurd that they're making against these two professors. I mean, I'm long retired from university life, but these two birds are as respectable as you can get. Yes. And you know, one, I would normally not think that they were particularly one, advent, adventurous either.
0: One is the dean of the uh, political science uh, department or head of the political science department at Harvard, if I'm not mistaken. You Something can, like that. And can, the you other can.
2: is a, got a named chair at the
0: uh, uh, University of Chicago, right. Yes. Yeah, so uh, we have a caller on the line for Thomas Johnson. Patrick, uh, we may have to relay your message, so please be brief.
3: Okay, that's fine. Um, my question actually ties into the earlier uh, concerns of the ignorance of, you know, American citizens in general. Um, watching what's been happening with our country and the politics and
2: basically the whole governing system Uh, myself and some of my close friends have been concerned about living here in America and the implications in the future and basically just with no knowledge of you know the world affairs and what's going on, where would it be safe or possibly best to relocate?
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for that question. So, uh, Thomas Johnson, I'm not sure if you heard the question.
2: Uh, uh, nothing but the very last few words. I don't know what's wrong uh, with the connection. But uh, so please tell me what the... He was wondering at. where
0: you think might be a good place to move, given the state of the United States <laughs> and where it's heading.
2: <laughs> yes, I. my wife used to say to me when I gave a public lecture here in Southern California, some serious person would stand up in the audience and say well look okay wise guy I buy your analysis uh, what should we uh, <laughs> what we do and where about are you it? going <laughs> yeah where are you and you know and then when I would say something like well if you've got a little money ahead a condo in Vancouver makes sense right now uh-huh. she said you can't say that you've got to come up with uh, with a better answer than that uh, it is to say that thinking about your escape route is not that dumb however in that uh, uh I think my analysis of empire is correct. I also believe that empires have their own self destruction built into them. Right. Uh, and that that's the evidence from all of them. The uh, That's why we talk about military inter- intervention in politics. After all, James Madison and Company copied much of the U.S. Constitution from the Roman Republic, uh, the great uh, first great example of Republican government of uh and with the very, very considerable rights that a citizen of Rome enjoyed. Which well, collapsed with the military end? takeover. <laughs> yeah, and ended with Augustus Caesar. Yeah. And um, <laughs> uh and whatever you thought of the Roman Empire after that, it wasn't generally thought of as good government. I mean you've got Caesar, Tiberius, Claudius, Nero uh, Nero. Yes. Uh these were right. Uh, I mean, they were the, the uh, opposite of uh, whatever you think of Julius Caesar, but certainly of Cicero and, and the world of, uh, of uh, Roman government. Uh, so that uh, uh, what one, but what one does about it? Obviously, one does one everything in one's power to mobilize the public. That's why I, as a retired professor, am spending my time writing three books, mm-hmm. one's attempting to uh, uh, mobilize the inattentive. With uh, information that uh, that they that I probably I know they palpably don't have. They don't have because they don't know how to get it, yeah. or it's classified, and gets more classified every time you turn around. Um, the uh, uh, but whether that's going to succeed is a uh, is a definitely an open question. Uh, well, and, we uh,
1: we're all trying to do our, our part. That's one, one, one reason that exactly uh, that's Bob why I'm appearing on on our show. Thank that, you very much. Yes. That's, that's why we We started to do the show for for that reason um, also. Um, well,
2: congratulations to you. You should. <laughs> Thank you.
1: <laughs> well, one of the one of the I just I just had a comment back to the previous topic about is, Israel and the and the sort of U.S. Yes. attitude toward Israel because uh, there's some of my my leftist friends who I respect a great deal. I won't name any names right now, but um, have told me that uh, they, 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 for example, uh, they like democracy now, except when they talk about Israel, when they're critical of mm-hmm. Israel, and I'm sure that they may also say the same thing about this show. Um, that there's some, I mean, even people I respect and and even leftists, uh, somehow a lot of them have got this, uh, just inability to 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 to, Approach to any absorb criticism. to uh, absorb any criticism of Israel. It's it's well, this it's,
2: is what Mearsheimer and Walt are, in some ways, trying to say too. And the the thing that's astonishing, I mean, I've been in Israel numerous times. I went up at the time of Sharon's invasion of uh, Lebanon. I went up to the Tani River to look at how he was doing it and what he was doing. I was pretty disgusted by it. But it's to say Israel itself is a much more open society than the United States on this subject, uh, where you can get genuine hard debates between uh, the activists of peace now uh, or of the Labour Party and the... uh, uh, the expansionists, the, uh, uh, the Zionist imperialists uh, who want to take over all the West Bank and uh, annex it into a greater Israel. Uh, Ariel Sharon personifies these issues uh, as a uh, war hero, as a war criminal, and then as prime minister. Uh, but
1: they have a discussion.
2: But you can have a discussion on it, and believe me, in any Israeli family, there's a lot of discussion on precisely these issues. That's why. I think uh, uh, Mearsheimer and Wald did us all a favor, and it fascinates me that their article was originally solicited by the Atlantic Monthly, which then refused to publish it,
1: oh, at God. which point
2: they offered it to the London Review of Books, of which I've written too. Its this extremely distinguished editor also happens to be a uh, British Jewess, uh, and she recognized the importance of the article and printed it. What she gets for her trouble is to being called a, an anti-Semite.
0: <laughs> well, that's the state of our uh, political, uh, political uh, debate in the, in the United States, I'm sorry to say. Uh, I think we can uh, wrap up here. Um, thank you very much, Chalmers Johnson, for appearing on Left Out. Uh, I fi- find your, uh, your, your comments and your thoughts very enlightening and useful, and I wish you luck with your new book, and uh, thank you for appearing on our program.
2: Well, it's a great yeah. pleasure to be here. I just noticed in looking at your lift that, list that I was on this program, once oh, a couple of years ago. Uh, you've done good work. And we commented
0: uh, about it, yeah, <laughs> your
2: work. It, it's a yeah. pleasure to, uh, to be here again. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much. Goodbye. That was Chalmers Johnson, who is from the Japan Policy Research Institute, formerly, uh, Director of uh, Chinese Studies at, uh, University of California, Berkeley, uh, author of several books, uh, appearing on, a number of documentaries you may have seen recently, uh, amongst others, Why We Fight. We'll take a brief, uh, break, uh, and we'll be back, uh, we'll be back, uh, very shortly. We'll play a bit of music here
3: they stand That we strive to resist the republic.
0: the uh, happy tones uh, i hate republicans from 2004 uh you can available their music is available on the web i think they're relatively obscure i and i bought their uh, cd from the website you can look them up the happy tones uh you should
1: put a link of it a link to it on our our leftout.info website will do so um yeah i had a couple other small things we could talk about we only have about three minutes left on the on the show um there's a couple of stories I I, I noticed uh, this week. One was um well, I'll talk about the one about global warming first. There's a um there's an article I I noticed it was it came out on March 31st, I think, last week. Um it was in the LA Times and uh, it was talking about the uh, the warming of the uh, the atmosphere over Antarctica. And um they um They they apparently have measured this warming. and The warming is going on much more rapidly over Antarctica than than, uh, the rest of the world. Um, And um, so uh, there's a couple of paragraphs that I'll read to you. It says, as levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere worldwide rise to levels not seen for a million years, the ice sheets of Antarctica, the world's greatest reserve of fresh water, are shrinking faster than new snow can fall. But no one knows whether the heat-trapping effects of atmospheric pollution or nature's own enigmatic cycles are the change are are, are the cause of this change. Well, uh, I thought that was a little strange, um, so I um, I uh, I contacted my friend Neil Donahue, an atmospheric scientist at Carnegie Mellon, and I said uh, I, I thought that this was an egregious example of false balance which is a term uh, in the media, which, which I use, or it's actually a common term now, uh, where, the media, where an article, a reporter will write an article which, which um, uh, purports to describe two sides of an issue as somehow balanced uh, when there's, in fact, an immense imbalance between the two. So, for example, in, my, in this case, 999 out of 1,000 atmospheric scientists would agree that human activity is a cause of the global warming and cause of the effect that they're talking about in this article, and there's one guy who doesn't. Therefore no one knows whether the heat-trapping effects of the atmosphere, uh, uh, heat-trapping effects are being caused by uh, human activity. It's, that's ridiculous to say no one knows when the, the vast majority of, of of atmospheric scientists all unanimously agree except for one guy. So um, I felt that was a, a good uh, good example of this. And, and uh, uh, Neil apparently was talking to a friend of his who's a reporter at a conference, um, or he knows from a conference, and complained about this and this reporter said, oh, well, I wrote an article in the Washington Post last week in which I didn't do that. Well, okay, one article you know, that doesn't do that is not enough. It has to be, if, 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 if you have 100 articles and 99 of them always say, well, maybe global warming isn't happening or maybe it's, you know, it's not caused by human activity, and then one doesn't say that, well, that's not enough. It has to become part of the, the, the discussion that this is just a fact.
0: On that, uh, on that note, I think we'll uh, wrap up this edition of Left Out Reality Based Independent Radio on WRCT 88.3 FM. Thank you again to Chalmers Johnson for appearing on today's show. Thank you very much to Matt Horniak for producing today's program. And uh, thank you all for listening. We'll be back in two weeks time.